Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. We are just about two weeks out from WWE Extreme Rules, which means we have an absolute ton to discuss as WWE is legitimately building an extreme card for what looks to be a very solid Extreme Rules show. Actually, this one doesn't look like it's going to be a horror show, and I do like it very much. Excited what we are getting thus far for Extreme Rules. But we will get to all of that in a moment because it would not be an episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I think you guys know. If I didn't remind you off the top that this podcast... So please, folks, we've been doing this for 350 episodes plus. Stop making me ask stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me go back to being marks for the silver king for vintage chris vanini head on over to apple Podcasts and spotify leave us a five-star rating on apple take an extra 30 or 60 seconds out of your life and leave us a written review as well let everyone know how much you love the show why you listen and tell them why they should subscribe the ratings super important the reviews even better. They give people reason to go ahead and listen to the program. Also important is following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We're, we're tweeting live during all the major shows. We do live shows on Twitter spaces, polls, videos, photos. We do it all on the Twitter account at Getting Overcast. And recently, we've become basically sleuths for White Rabbit and Feed Your Head. And when it comes to WWE, try to find a bunch of clues. Hey, Look, they're getting spread around. So go ahead, follow us, retweet the posts, like the posts. You can also send in DMs and tweets that we will go ahead and read here on the air. Again, one more time, at Getting Overcast on Twitter. With all of that now out of the way, allow me to welcome vintage Chris Vanini into the show. Chris, you haven't been here technically from episode one, but for the most part, we are now 350 episodes into this getting over experiment, if you will. Honestly, man, it kind of seems in some ways like we just started it, like, I don't know, like four to six months ago. But on the other hand, it also seems like we've been doing it for five years. I don't know how to like put those two in the same basket, but that's just how I feel kind of at this unique marking point in the podcast history. It really does. And I know I've only been on a little, maybe more than half of them because you often do the NXT. Oh, yeah, technically. But I mean, you've been the co-host. Right. But that's yeah, it does feel like like before we started recording, we we looked up um, last year's extreme rules and we're like, oh, wait a minute. The horror show was two years ago. (laughs) We've had that drop for for like two years at this point. Does not feel like that long. for sure. Yeah. And I mean, think of the moments that we've seen, the events that we've covered. I mean, this podcast really started basically immediately before in what was already during the pandemic. We didn't know it at the time. By the time you joined as co-host, we were fully into it. Uh, The first, you know, year to two years of the show happened in those circumstances. Then crowds opened up a year ago at this time. We're talking about extreme rules. We were saying, hey, you know what? 
it looks like Roman Reigns may actually drop the Universal Championship here. He's going up against the demon, Finn Balor. Right? It's a perfect spot. And then what happened, happened. And I think we got actually one of the best WWE matches of the year with one of the worst finishes, perhaps, in WWE history. But here we are, 12 months later from that, and we're looking at what has been a completely reconstituted WWE in almost every single area except for Roman Reigns, not only still being universal champion, but now also being WWE champion to be the undisputed champion. And I just, you know, I'm not a big like milestone guy. We do special episodes here occasionally, right? When it really calls for it. But to look back on, you know, what we have done to this point, what I hope is ahead in the future of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Folks, I got to tell you, the Silver King has been heavy into doing some research on equipment. There's something called the Roadcaster Pro I'm looking at to potentially purchase with your contributions to make the show sound better and operate better. I'm very excited about the trajectory of this podcast. It's great, Chris, having you along for the ride. And I got to say, like, it's especially coming at a time now where I am more energized about WWE than I really think I have been in my podcasting career. And that dates back to two shows I was on prior to this one, you know, both with my company that where I work full time. This, of course, is an independent show. Um, but I did that show for multiple years. And in, in many cases, I had to be the voice of reason on that show. Uh, in other cases, uh, <laughs> they would get very um, down on the product and I would have to point out the bright spots. And then we kind of started doing our own show. And it was like, well, you know, now that that's not the role I'm in anymore, we're, we really need to look at all of the legitimate criticisms that we have to give towards WWE. And I just got to say, I'm not trying to put it all on Triple H. I am glad, don't get me wrong, that Triple H has the book. I am the game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. And it's, it's just kind of showing through right now in terms of what we're getting on WWE TV from a week-to-week basis. The match quality is improving. The storytelling is improving. We are seeing the beginnings of long-term story arcs that are being created that we hope will pay off. We're putting a lot of faith in that happening right now. But what it's making for is a much more enjoyable television watching experience. There's going to be weeks where we absolutely love it. There's going to be others where, you know, it's 50-50 or or maybe we're just not fond of the direction they're going. But we have not yet had an episode of this show where you and I came in searching for positives. It's really kind of the opposite. We're looking for things to critique and criticize because everything is kind of rolling so well. And it's really odd. It's odd that WWE, from a creative standpoint, is operating this well, but it goes to show you when you cut off the head of the snake, you know, the rest of the body dies. In this case, the rest of the body's thriving. The the floor has been raised. There, there is, it, it's rare now for a few months now that there are many bads or especially uglies when we get into the good, bad, and the ugly on this. Um, I, I still think some of the stuff at the top outside of the bloodline isn't great. Raw is still lacking, not having a top champion. Agreed. Roman Reigns will will be on Raw uh, next week or the week after they announced for the season premiere. So th- there are things. It's not perfect, but it also goes to show just how low the bar was for Triple H to clear. All you had to do was just like just pay a little bit of attention to what was going on on your product, and you could make it much better. Like, like the potential was always there. We knew it. There were just constantly but 
odd decisions and, and just it felt lazy at oftentimes. And it doesn't feel lazy when the product is put together right now. And that comes through watching it. Even if I don't love something, you know, like you, you can tell there's something behind it and you trust. That's it. the no, that's exactly right. It's like, OK, so, in, in the, you know, we have the good, the bad and the ugly segment. We grade, you know, every segment on Raw and SmackDown with the exception of what we talk about in the main event. And for a long time, it was, well, is it bad or ugly? Right. Or can we find enough decent parts of it where even if the match was short and the booking was stupid, the effort was really good and there were some awesome moves where, where we can call it good. Now it's it's completely the opposite. There's so few things that are in the bad and ugly category that you're we're trying to look at the things that are going well and figuring out, well, how could they have been done better? What didn't WWE achieve that they could have in doing these segments? It's the same analysis that we've always done. But it's it's from what you said, a raised floor. It, it's from, well, we're getting longer matches with higher quality wrestling. The storylines make sense. There's not an overabundance of disqualifications. And literally just changing that, and that's the surface level mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Just changing that makes the product better. And then on top of that, they're giving us intriguing storylines and things we can sink our teeth into going into not, you know, really the road to WrestleMania begins in January, especially now after day one, that that's really going to be the kickoff to this going forward. But they're doing it at a time of year coming out of SummerSlam where in the past, what have we always talked about on this show? The, the last two years, at least WWE falls off around football season. They realize they try at the very beginning to compete, right? Like last year, they put the WWE championship on Biggie. They had him cash in money in the bank. They try to compete with Monday Night Football. They realize they can't. And the creative product just completely falls off. There's a crown jewel show. They try to shove too much into a tight window to end the year. And it's all really frustrating. And then we hope, or we, we hoped last year, around day one, things will pick up and it'll roll into WrestleMania season. Except last year, the Royal Rumble was freaking awful. It was one of the worst we've had in years. And that never really happened. WrestleMania was fine, of course. And night one, I think, was highly praised. But the the lead in all of those months leading into it weren't. It, we suffered the same issues that we had in the fall and winter. So Coming into this year, I just feel like WWE is on a completely different path ending the summer and going into the fall here where I'm legitimately excited to turn on SmackDown Friday night. I'm not bothered by the fact that I have to watch Raw at the same time as a Monday night football game, despite me being a huge NFL fan and basically gambling on every single Monday night football game. So just it's it's a change in mindset and it. It's refreshing to me, especially given that we're doing a podcast. We talk about this stuff weekly. We clearly care a lot about it. And we're now 350 episodes into the show. And somehow it feels fresh. Yes, for the most part. There are qualms I have that we'll get into in the main event because it kind of tie into that. But um, yeah, 351 episodes in. This is probably as excited we've been about the product. And that's it's, it's a good feeling. All right, Chris, with that out of the way, let's kick things off as we do every WWE episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by sliding into the main event. And the main event of this week's show is going to cover what may have been the greatest segment. No, I'm kidding. Not the greatest segment. One of the most entertaining segments, perhaps, in recent WWE history. Uh, Roman Reigns and the entire bloodline opened SmackDown with an epic entrance. It lasted seven minutes. We've talked about the length of that entrance before uh, with Paul Heyman finally being the first one to speak. 
Heyman said Drew McIntyre had another bridge to cross, pun intended. He said Solo Sokoa interfering at Clash at the Castle a couple weeks ago was neither his idea nor Reigns' idea, but rather that Solo was sent by the Samoan elders. Heyman put Sokoa over as the enforcer of the bloodline, saying his presence will allow the Usos to achieve immortality as a tag team. Jimmy Uso spoke, but when Jay took the mic from him and was about to start speaking, Reigns threw his arm out and demanded the mic. That tweaked Jay. You could see the expression on his face. Roman told Solo he answers to him and demanded acknowledgement. Sokoa did it immediately, and Reigns hugged him. So Reigns' music played, and they're all about to leave. Sami Zayn cuts it off, grabs the mic, saying, I know I'm not technically blood, but I want to acknowledge the tribal chief. Fans started chanting for him. Paul Heyman put his head in his hands. Roman grabbed the mic. He said, Sammy, I don't get what you're doing here. I want to know your motivation. And you need to take off that bloodline shirt because you are not bloodline. Jay was happy with this. You can see him in the background. He starts yelling like vociferously at Zayn. When Sammy didn't take the shirt off right away and started arguing, Jay tore it off his body. And Roman said he will never wear a bloodline shirt again. Jay was loving life in this moment, you could tell. Until Reigns said Zayn will not be wearing a bloodline shirt anymore because he got him a new one. He throws him a black shirt and Sammy unveils it to show honorary Us SZ on it. Sammy flips out. He's loving this. Roman has a huge grin on his face like a father who just gave a gift to his kid at Christmas. Jimmy and Solo, they're happy in the background, smiling and patting each other on the back. And Jay is absolutely seething like the hater of all time that he is. Sammy then acknowledged Roman as the tribal chief. He dapped up Jimmy doing their handshake. He gave like a half hug to Solo and a bear hug to Reigns. And Roman actually hugged him back. Chris, there are so many adjectives I could use to describe this. (laughs) But to put it simply, this might have been the non-wrestling segment of the year, any brand. It was outstanding, conceptualized perfectly, booked perfectly, executed perfectly. It was basically, I don't know if you were in a fraternity in college, but it was what like a fraternity bid or initiation would look like in a wrestling ring. Anyone who's been in one would understand like, There's mind games, sowing seeds of doubt that you're not going to get accepted until you actually are. That's very much what this was. Let's consider everything that happened in this segment. And a lot happened in the segment. First, you have Jay, right? The only member of the bloodline who was physically and mentally abused by Reigns until he eventually acknowledged him and joined. He used to be the clear number two, the attack dog, main event Jey Uso. He was the guy other than Roman Reigns. Not only is Roman now ignoring his position and his take on Sammy, he's continuing to disrespect him. He's cutting Jay off from speaking. He's going so far as to establish Zayn as a real honorary member by acknowledging him. Meanwhile, Sammy's intentions here have actually always been pure. They've been selfish, but they've been pure. Remember, this whole thing started because he was on a downward spiral in his career And he wanted to save himself by aligning with the most dominant group that he saw having success. He showed legitimate sadness here when Reigns was toying with his emotions, thinking all that hard work and everything he did was a total waste of time, only to do a complete 180 and obviously be thrilled when he realized it was all worthwhile. Back to Jay, though, not only did Sammy not get abused 
and gaslighted by Reigns. Sammy's being actively welcomed by not just Roman, but Jay's own brothers in Solo and Jimmy. No one giving a fuck what he thinks or says about the entire thing. So Jay's not just angry, he's jealous. And all of this for a guy in Sami Zayn who isn't even blood. Now, it's tough to say where this is ultimately going to go. But I never could have guessed after our in-depth bloodline conversation last week that I would somehow get more invested in this just three days later. This is legitimately top-tier wrestling storytelling. Reigns is in the rock role to Sammy's Mick Foley in some respects. And the expectation that you and I have talked about already on this podcast, Chris, is Zayn's eventually going to get kicked out. Kevin Owens will have his back, and they're going to win the tag team titles at WrestleMania. But the way that Sammy and Jay are being booked here throws everything into question. Sammy, yeah, he could be ousted. Maybe he even challenges Roman Reigns at day one. Or what if Jay implodes and either gets ejected or leaves the bloodline, and it's him trying to overcome his tormentor in Reigns this entire time? We've already seen main event Jay Uso once. We know that could potentially come back. And beyond all this, Chris, Heyman introduced the concept of the elders using that as the reasoning for Solo. That could easily set the stage for The Rock returning to WWE if he does agree to something for WrestleMania. The elders sending The Rock down because Reigns is treating the Usos poorly or he excommunicates Jay from the bloodline or something like that. Every single part of this was expert booking. I never rewatch the TV shows. I think you guys know that. And I rarely rewatch segments. I legitimately watched this entire thing three times. That's how good it was. They got me on this. I legitimately thought this was Sami Zayn getting kicked out. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and that is because of the great acting job that everybody did. And Roman sold it great. Sammy sold it incredible. The sadness on his face, the camera zooming slowly, kind of zooming in when Sammy realizes what is going on. Like they had me. I thought that was it. And then when he pulled up, when he pulled out the other shirt, my heart swelled. <laughs> I was like, oh man, it's such a it's such a fascinating dynamic where there's it's a heel stable that is for the most part getting booed, as it should. Yes. With a clear face character in it in Sami Zayn that people are just like in love with right now it's just it's such an intricate story this is the classic story of like the nerdy kid at school wants to hang out with the cool kids and the cool kids are letting him and then at some mm -hmm. point you know they're gonna they're gonna prank him they're gonna do something it's like it, it, it's you a think they're you think tale. they're going to you think they're going yeah to. you're just you're, you're waiting right. for you you're, you're worried Sami Zayn's gonna be let down at some point you don't think they really care about him and and so you just kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. I, I don't know, like the, the Sami Zayn holding the honorary shirt became a great meme over the weekend. Like it was just everything about that was perfect. I mean, and I, I looked up the, the YouTube, this had 1.6 million views. I mean, the all the bloodline stuff does well, but this did especially well. Uh, just, just fantastic stuff. Every week they continue to just kind of add a little bit more to it. And it's, it's just really good. We're here uh, taping the show September 27th, right? Not much longer left in 2022. Do you believe this to be the non-wrestling segment of the year? Segment of the year. Oh, um, non-wrestling, not not in-ring action. Like, 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 do like do just straight up promos count? Yeah, absolutely. Because like I think about the um, was it the 
Kevin Owens, Drew McIntyre segment before good. Clash of the Castle. That, that was, was a good. really good one that comes to mind. Um, there was some there was some good CM Punk stuff I liked before everything kind of blew up in AEW. Uh, I all those are the ones that come to off off the top of my head. Um, to me, I look at it like this. To me, I look at it like any given year. There's a number of really good promos, right? And we'll have yeah. a promo of the year category, of course, at our end of year awards. But a well told, intricate storyline that makes you think and feel things and entertains you, and and swer- and swerves you a little bit, right? Pops you. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, surpasses that. Like. I think the promos here were fine. You know, they were they were all really solid. The, the mic worked, but the storytelling, the way the crowd was taken on a ride, Sammy's acting, Jay's acting, Jay. I mean, you want to, like I, we don't do this award, right? But like, if we did an actor of the year award, right, or best actor award for professional wrestling, Jay might have it for real. Like J- his Jay facial Sammy, expressions and emotions yeah. are fantastic. Yeah, Jay or Sammy. I mean, Jay has kind of been overlooked and it's kind of coming to the surface more and more recently. But yeah, he has hated Sammy Zane for a while. Now. Well, everything and, he's overlooked because a lot of what he does is nonverbal. It's in the background. Exactly. It's in the it's in the background when Sammy's talking to Roman and Jay's making some faces in the right. back. It, yeah, it's it's been really good. And even the fact that during none of those meetings between Sammy and Roman, like he, he almost broke numerous times, but he didn't. You know, that, like you get extra credit on that on top of everything else. I just, man, I really like, I, I mean, clearly I really like it. I loved it, right? Um, we're being taken on a journey with two people in Jay Uso individually and Sami Zayn, who historically in WWE don't really get that much time. Yes, Jay was main event Jay Uso and he was a focus of programming for a significant period of time during the pandemic. But generally in WWE, particularly when there's uh, a tag team member, one member of of a tag team that's injured like Jimmy was during that period of time, the other person gets forgotten about and they just they're the whole tag team's off TV until they're both healthy. But Jay is being given an independent storyline while in a tag team with a healthy tag team member on television. That never happens. Sami Zayn, we've been waiting since he's been called up to the main roster for him to have that one role that he could sink his teeth into and prove that he's everything all of his fans say that he is. And yeah, he's had title runs and he's gotten opportunities to shine, but he has never been in a true long-term main event storyline like he is right now. This is the best work of his entire career, not just as Sami Zayn, as El Generico, as anything he's ever done anywhere. What we are getting right now from Sami Zayn is the best stuff that he has ever done. Is he as young as he used to be? Can he move the same in the ring? No. That, you know, people change with age. It doesn't matter from a character work standpoint, from an entertainment standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint. And by the way, he is still putting on very good wrestling matches. This is the best we've ever gotten from Sammy. I still don't think, Chris, that this winds up as some are now believing Roman Reigns, Sammy Zayn for the title at WrestleMania. I don't think that's happening. I don't think no. WWE sees him in that category. Could he potentially one day get a Mick Foley-like title run? For you know, a very short hotshot type of deal. Maybe I could possibly see that happening, especially if this storyline gets him super mega over. But more likely than not, that won't be the case. It doesn't really matter because guess what? Again, we're in September. WrestleMania is not until April. What we're getting right now is the perfect type of storyline for this part of the WWE season. And I mean, we have plenty more to talk about still, 
But from this opening segment, I just want to make sure it gets its just due because it really was that good. This is something, and this this is the criticism I alluded to in the open, and that is if we were getting Roman on a more regular schedule, this would be like the prime opportunity to have like Roman Reigns team up with Sami Zayn in like a Raw main event or something like that, that like really pisses off Jey Uso. Like, like there, there are things you could do if you could have more of them. And that is always our criticism is that we don't get more of all of this, which is to say Roman Reigns is not on Extreme Rules, won't be defending the title at Extreme Rules. He's fighting Logan Paul at Crown Jewel. And we're probably getting a war games with the bloodline, we think, at Survivor Series. Yes. So, yes. We're, we're, so we're not getting another Roman Reigns title defense in 2022. Well, that's not true. So... Last well, I guess Logan Paul is technically. Well, no, no, yeah, yeah, that. But I mean, I could definitely see what them doing what they did in 2020, which was having Reigns defend the title on that Christmas SmackDown. They made a really special show. I think he had yeah. a steel cage match with Kevin Owens on that SmackDown. So I could definitely see him them doing something like that because there is nothing in the month of December. Though that said, they are doing day one as a pay per view. Right. And you have to assume he's going to defend the title there. So I, I don't know that he won't have a, a televised title defense other than Logan Paul, but I would be pretty surprised if we go through three months, the next 90 days, and the only time he defends the title is Logan Paul in Saudi Arabia. I would just be surprised by that. Possibly, yeah. Under so Triple just, H. Under Triple H, I'd be surprised by that, not Vince McMahon. Yeah, just my my usual criticism with the Bloodline stuff is just not seeing it all the time. And I'm curious what Roman on Raw, whichever Raw that's going to be in the next week or two, uh, will be a welcome addition. That's going to be the season premiere of Raw on October 10th. So two weeks from now, uh, we will get Roman Reigns on Raw. When he does show up, it'll be the first time he's on Raw in 11 weeks, despite being the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. You know, basically three months without him being on the longest running show in the company's history, um, despite it being him being its champion as well. But that will be happening. It's the season premiere. It's in Barclays Center in Brooklyn. It's going to be a huge show. I'm sure it'll sell out. So that will be a big deal. I, right. I also I do like, by the way, that they are putting the bloodline on Raw. Like we're getting Sammy and Solo we are. and all this stuff going on. So it's not like there's nothing there. But but in, and that is appreciated. And we'll get into the Sammy Solo thing, too. But as you mentioned, at the, as you mentioned at the top of the show, one of the things that is still missing from WWE is a true main event division on Raw. There's a lot of upper mid card things happening simultaneously. Inter, uh, sorry, uh, United States Championship with Bobby Lashley. Guy doesn't even have a challenger right now. All right. So that so Lashley doesn't have a challenger. We do have other upper mid card storylines going on. For example, Seth Rollins and um, um, help me out here. Matt Riddle. Um, uh, AJ Styles slash Finn Balor slash Edge, everything that's happening there, we'll get into that. So there are things happening, but when you don't have that world championship on the show, you do feel a dearth of like importance. And the fact that Roman Reigns hasn't been on that program or, or won't have been on that program for three months by the time he comes back, again, it's just, you know, it's frustrating to me as a viewer. It is. Um, yep. Chris, there's a lot more from this bloodline storyline that happened on SmackDown moving into Raw. So let's keep going with it as we continue the main event. Uh, Madcap Moss and Ricochet gave Zayn a ton of shit backstage following this segment for aligning with Reigns. They were about to call him a certified bitch when Solo Sokoa ran in out of nowhere, like off camera, and legitimately destroyed both of these guys. He looked like an absolute monster. Zayn was legitimized by Solo getting his back here. 
Next, there was a video package for the Usos that was narrated by Heyman. He pointed out only Demolition and New Day are the teams ahead of them, still in the record books. Sheamus later put over his guys and promised to drag the Intercontinental title out of Gunther's cold, dead hands in two weeks on the season premiere of SmackDown. And then the Brawling Brutes did the banger after banger after banger thing in a promo, making that, by the way, kayfabe, the banger after banger deal. (laughs) Uh, This was all setting up the main event of this week's show and one of the biggest matches of the entire week. Most of this was whatever, but I did think the attack segment was awesome. Sammy screaming, you're dealing with the bloodline now while they're like laid out because he suddenly has clout and he has these guys having his back. I thought that was awesome. It just all worked extremely well together. Definitely worked. Loved that video. The the, the video package talking about the, the other title reigns and stuff like that. I was at the Money in the Bank when the Usos first won the SmackDown titles. And that was that was a pre-show match, which I don't, I don't think we remember is when they first started this. That's crazy. So that the Usos are among the greatest tag teams of all time, are Hall of Famers, mm-hmm. and sometimes they have been used as simply lackeys in this bloodline storyline. And so it is nice to see when they get the credit they deserve like that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So let's move to the main event of SmackDown. The undisputed tag team championships were on the line. The Usos defending against the Brawling Brutes. You'll remember they won the number one contendership last week. Uh, Jay and Sammy argued during the match. Jimmy hit a big Samoan drop, but Butch on the hot tag caught him with a big kick for a near fall. There was a great sequence with a ton of super kicks both ways. The Usos then caught Butch flying on a moonsault with a double super kick for a near fall that sent the crowd into an absolute frenzy. Ridge Holland caught a double super kick attempt and picked both Usos up onto his shoulders for like a double toss slam. It got a, another really big pop. Suddenly, Ridge Holland is completely over, by the way. Uh, the Brutes then hit their heel kick power slam type of finisher, but Jay broke the fall at 2.9. The crowd at this point's on their feet going nuts. Sammy grabbed a chair. Uh, Sheamus stole it. Sokoa saved Sammy by stepping up to Sheamus. But at that moment, Imperium ran down and attacked Sheamus at ringside with Gunther leveling him with a boot. The Brutes went to save him, but the Usos caught both of them blind with super kicks like to the side of their head before finally hitting Butch with 1D for the win and title retention. This was so freaking chaotic, especially in the finish, but the booking was expertly done here. The Brutes came out looking strong. The Usos retained the titles and the Sheamus-Gunther storyline advanced. All things that needed to happen coming out of the match. Oh, and the match, by the way, it was really good also. I went 4.25 stars and an A for the wrestling. There was also internal storyline progression here with Solo saving Sammy. And then in the post-match, Sammy shoved Jay aside to get to Jimmy for the huge celebration and win inside the ring. The dynamics between them are great. All of the little mannerisms and facial expressions put this thing over the top. It was a great main event to SmackDown. This match was awesome i just i literally wrote down this is a banger and i say this every time the usos have a big match but they are maybe the best tag team ever at breaking up a pin at 2.999 yes they are just just every single time you think oh this might not be the time and then right from the back of the camera they dart in and get it like that is such that is the equivalent of like a a singles wrestler kicking out at 2.99 to me that extra one hundredth of a second makes all the difference in the world. It's so important. 
And Randy Orton's one of the best ever at, at doing that very, very late kickout. And the Usos are the best at breaking up a pin as a tag team. That that's it 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 really emphasizes the team part of it. And that's what has made the Usos so so good for so long is that they mm-hmm. really are a tag team. They're not just two guys put together and, and kind of doing that type of stuff. Rich Holland, yeah, he he's bent over. Like you let him do feats of strength. And people get into that. So, like, th- this was a great dynamic for everything. Match was awesome, awesome, awesome finish. And I thought it was great. And I guess at this point, we have to wonder, do you think the Usos are going to break that uh, tag team uh, reign record? It's really tough. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me. So it's really tough to see how much longer they have to go. If there's a short one coming up, like weeks or maybe a couple months and it's New Day, then I could see that happening. Do I think they beat Demolition? I don't know. But again, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Like I yeah, did I'm, when we discussed to, this with Roman Reigns. So yeah, I'm trying to pull it up here. They yeah, if you are, want to pull it up and uh, and take a look, we can yeah. have that discussion. They 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 just passed 400 days. Doesn't This one doesn't say. But they're not that far. It really, I think it was like a month or so away from, from the New Day. All right, I, I found it here. New Day, 483 days okay. is the record. Demolition, 478. The Usos, as of the day we're recording, is about 435. So they're less than two months away from breaking the single oh, single man. record. So that's tough, right? Because the, the Usos, does WWE want the Usos to have that one major record, whereas Roman Reigns will not have that record, right? The equivalent record with a world championship in WWE. He can't. It's just not possible because of, you know, Bruno Sammartino and, and I think Hulk Hogan, some of the reigns that they had were just astoundingly long. Others too. Um, Pedro Morales. Uh, I know Bob Backlund had a really long one. I think Reigns has already surpassed him potentially. I, I don't remember. But point is, Reigns won't have that record. So the question is, does WWE want the Usos to have that tag team record? Given it's only a couple of months, it seems like it's almost an inevitability at this point, because if you are going to have them drop the titles, why would you do it at Crown Jewel? Or when War Games, we're not expecting them to be able to defend the titles. Are you going to have them do it on a regular SmackDown? That doesn't really make sense either. So if you're going to have them drop them, you might as well at this point, I think, push it out to WrestleMania. So... You know, yeah, I guess they are going to win it. I do question that decision, not for nothing. But I mean, the Usos have had numerous legal problems during their time in WWE. And while I love them as performers, and I'm sure they're both great guys, you know, still that they've made uh, numerous bad decisions. One of them in particular has made, I should say, numerous bad decisions. Um, So are those the people you want as your number one tag team of all time, at least in terms of the title record? I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Based on based on the number of days that are left. I mean, the only argument you could make as to why that potentially would not happen is that WWE aired the video now. Right. Like generally, if that's something that's coming up, they tell you like 30 days out and they're like, hey, just so you know, this thing's approaching. We're going to start referencing this as it gets closer to do it so many days out now. Maybe there's a situation where they do drop the titles and then reigns is angry at them for not getting the record or whatever the case might be. But if I had to guess, given the short window, given the events that are forthcoming, given the fact that there's they don't even have a tag team 
title challenger. And I don't know the last time they defended the titles on a premium live event. I'm going to go ahead and guess, yeah, that they do break it. I think they do too. And it's possible on the Raw or SmackDown before they do, maybe you give them a title match against New They'll Day. definitely do that. You know, you, yeah. you, you kind of put that on the line. But I think at this point, yeah, I think they're probably going to break it. So There's a 100% chance they do that. Like the show mm-hmm. before the record is broken, they will do that. No question. And they may even give New Day a shot before they break their record, which would at least make sense in kayfabe, even though New Day is not supposed to challenge for the title anymore. Yeah, that could potentially be worked into it. All right. Uh, we got a lot more to talk about with the bloodline um, on Raw this time. Uh, Sammy and Solo Sokoa exited a black SUV early during the show. Finn Balor then approached Styles backstage saying Judgment Day has achieved a lot, but Styles linking up with him could change the entire business. Balor suggested letting Judgment Day watch his back given Zayn has Sokoa in his corner, but Styles turned him down. Balor later suggested to Judgment Day that he was sure Styles would eventually come around and join them. So we got a match, Zayn against Styles. That's what this was leading into. Sammy did his old pendulum uh, springing moonsault outside that was cool to see. Haven't seen that in a long time from him. Styles at the flying forearm outside. Zayn hit a blue thunderbomb and an awesome orange crush from a seated position. That's one of uh, Kenta Kobashi's old finishers, and Corey Graves called it out live on Raw. I thought that was really cool. Styles came back with a Pele kick. Sammy reached the ropes to break a calf crusher. Zayn escaped his second Styles clash attempt and then grabbed Styles' hair over the ring apron. The referee stopped him and, you know, yelled at him for doing so. Sokoa then hit Styles with a Uranagi into the ring apron as she was distracted. Zayn followed with a Huluva kick and got the win over AJ Styles in 19 minutes. Really damn good wrestling match. Kind of a perfect storyline finish. It further established Sammy's spot in the bloodline and his relationship with Solo. You can't do that segment from Friday and then have Zayn turn around on Monday and lose a match, even if it is to AJ Styles. It gave credence to what Balor told Styles backstage that he needed backup. It put Styles in a very interesting position that we'll talk about in a bit. And it gave Zayn a big win over a legitimate superstar and obviously a former world champion. So I thought the booking was great. Four stars, A minus for the wrestling. Very solid top to bottom. Yep, this was this was great, and I, I'm enjoying the relationship between Sammy and Solo. You know, because we know Jimmy J different relationship with Sammy, but it's easy to throw Solo on with Sammy. It gives Solo more screen time. You know, as 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 the as the viewers continue to get accustomed to him, everything about this worked and was set up perfectly. It was great. So once this match was over, Balor entered with Judgment Day after the bell, reminding Styles of his offer and saying the outcome would have been different if he had just accepted. Judgment Day like surrounded Styles, shield style all on the ring apron, and Balor offered him one last chance to join them. Balor threw up too sweet in the air. Styles pretended to do it. Instead, he turned his hand around and flipped him the bird. I can't even remember the last time that happened on WWE television. I do know Charlotte Flair did it on a premium live event like last year or so. But TV, I can't remember when there was a middle finger uh, on (laughs) WWE recently. Uh, Judgment Day then beat him down. Rhea Ripley wrapped a chair around Styles' neck. Balor was going to jump off the ropes or or bounce himself, I should say, off the ropes to stomp it. But instead, he stopped short. He kneeled down and he said to Styles, that's not what friends do. And we are friends. I just thought this was really well executed. Also, as I said last week, Judgment Day is finally starting to click after all this time all the criticisms we gave it, it doesn't make sense. This isn't working. The, the promos suck. The crowd isn't buying it. It's all finally working. 
And every single member of Judgment Day is now benefiting. Bauer is displaying personality we have not seen from him in quite some time. And he's reminding us that yes, he can be the leader if they position him that way. He can be a main eventer, both in terms of in the ring and on the mic. I just loved this. Yeah, Judgment Day, again, the Judgment Day, again, just looks <laughs> you like- You can keep saying all... it. I never will. I just want to that's make that a that's, that's a, if, if you have to say premium live event, I'm saying this. I go back and forth. I, get, I say some pay-per-view. I say premium live event. I say both. Mm. The more we see judgment, the Judgment Day together, just like behind the scenes or doing stuff, just like having fun, the more I buy into them. Like that's what their thing is. If they're not going to be a dominant wrecking shop all over WWE, which they're clearly not, just make it seem like it's a cool group of people that like you'd want to join them or like they think people would want to join them. And that's what they're doing right now. And that works. Finn Balor has been spectacular the last several weeks. This behind the the backstage stuff with AJ and that this was an example of something that happened several times on the um on the on raw which was the heel does something evil kind of evil and then just like that's it there's not the face run out to do something I kept wondering is someone going to come save AJ who's going to save AJ because that's the wrestling trope and instead they didn't give us that they just gave us Finn Balor be like, nah, in, in like a different kind of ending. I thought that was really, really good television. It let us see that they're dominant. And it also gave us credence to the storyline that they were telling with Balor and Styles, where we're like, why would Styles join them? Like, there's really, it doesn't make any sense for him to want to do that in both storyline reasons, in terms of like his feud with kind of Judgment Day and when Edge was there and everything that was kind of going on with that. And of course, him kind of coming back as a babyface, them clearly being heels. Why would he want to link up with them? It didn't make any sense. This provided a reason why we can at least think, huh, maybe Styles will join them. Maybe we will get Balor and Styles together. That's pretty interesting. So that's why I appreciated it. I thought that it took the storyline that I'm not saying it didn't make sense, but it was loose. It was thin and it added a lot of depth to it in a spot where a heel faction got to stand strong. And it's also really cool, Chris. There's groups all over WWE right now, but there is a big time faction over on SmackDown, the bloodline that has its tentacles a little bit in Raw because they have all the championships, so they get to go on both shows. And there's also a faction now on Raw that they're not dominating to the same degree, but they are making an imprint on the product pretty much the same way that the Hurt Business did, where like it matters And it's something that is used throughout the show, but it's not something that dominates the entire show like the like um, the bloodline does on SmackDown. So I'm just really appreciating what they're doing with Judgment Day. And actually, on that note, there's even more to talk about from Judgment Day. So let's move into our next segment and do exactly that. Let's go to the good, the bad and the ugly. So we had a scheduled match, Rey Mysterio versus Seth Rollins. Earlier backstage, Rey said he knows deep down inside Dominic is still the son he loves. But while he may have mercy for Dom, he will show no mercy against Rollins, who's proven time after time he doesn't deserve it. Rollins at first 
uh, this was a separate promo. He said the fight pit was a stipulation that helped Matt Riddle before remembering himself that he's better in the ring and he's smarter than him. So it shouldn't be a problem. Then he said he'd give Ray the beating that Ray is too cowardly to give Dom. Uh, Rollins got cut with a hard way really early in the match, taking a header off the steps with both guys outside. Uh, Dom came down with the steel chair. He stood alongside Rollins. Just before that, we got a QR code that flashed on the screen for another white rabbit clue. More on that in a moment. Ray did his sliding splash and another one off the top rope. Fans chanted, Dom is useless, which just made me laugh. I thought that was hysterical. Uh, Rollins dodged a 619. Rollins stopped a Huracarana, but Ray countered an avalanche powerbomb into it anyway. Dom dared Ray to do the chair shot again. He, of course, didn't. The referee stopped Rollins from going outside to get him for some reason. I couldn't really figure that out. As Rhea Ripley ran out of the crowd to push Ray into the post, they rolled him inside. Rollins hit the stomp. But instead of going for the fall, he put Ray in a Peruvian necktie for the win. That submission finish was definitely not on my Raw bingo card on Monday night. In fact, I did some research, Chris. It was the first time in Rollins' career across WWE and Ring of Honor, perhaps even beyond that, I couldn't find a single instance where he won a singles match via submission. And I just wish they had given that note on television because that's legitimately unique that it had never happened before. He's won matches via submission in tag team situations, but it's always been his partner doing the submitting. Becky Lynch in WWE. Um, I think Brian Danielson in Ring of Honor, he teamed with for a period of time. He did that. So, and, and other people that he teamed with in Ring of Honor won matches via submission in tag team situations, but it was never him doing it. I just thought it was so unique and cool and a missed opportunity that they don't really miss these days. Strong wrestling here, completely sensible finish, given the Mysterio storytelling a proper way to get Rollins over a legend and give him some submission bona fides ahead of the fight pit match. So a clear and obvious good. Definite good. I even thought the Ray promo before was quite strong for, for Ray. You know, like he sometimes he's kind of articulating the Dominic stuff and it's a little too wordy sometimes, but I yeah. thought he kind of got to the point in this and it worked. And, and so it, it set up the match really well. Um, Seth doing the promo and again, not having like Riddle come out and do something instead of that just leading into the Ray match. I like that. I thought the match went a little too long and we didn't really talk about this, but the, that first hour that's not really going up against Monday Night Football or partly is. I think there were two matches in that first hour that were quite long. Um, to me, it was a little bit too long, but uh, it, it was a good match. Unique finish, like you said. Definitely good. Yeah, most of the matches on Raw were lengthy, for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't take the time of every single match. I usually only do it when it's something I think ahead of time might be notable, whether it's going to be short or long. So I didn't get the time, I think, on this one. I don't think I said how long it was. No, I didn't. Um, but yes, there were multiple lengthy matches that were like probably between 15 and 20 minutes on Raw. And this was definitely one. I do agree that it actually went a little longer than it needed to. But I think the goal of WWE when it does this, especially now during Monday Night Football, is if you're in the middle of watching a match, theoretically, you're not going to just change the channel. You're going to wait until the match is over. So they're trying sure. to keep people on the screen more. It's also why there was a spot I'm going to criticize later where they started a match, and I'm not even exaggerating. They started a match, rang the bell, and immediately went to commercial break. And it was like infuriating. I yeah. do expect that 
is something that they're specifically doing now during Monday Night Football. They've always done that to a degree, but now it's more purposeful, I think, than ever. But plus, Chris, look, I'd much rather, you know, a 16-minute match than a six-minute match. And it shouldn't necessarily have to be one extreme or the other. But if I had to pick an extreme, I'm going to go with the lengthy matches. Right. I just, I, I find myself when Raw opens with a long match, it, it just kind of makes the rest of the show drag for me. That might just That's be That's fair. I agree with that. But just how I go. I do agree. I prefer most of the time TV shows starting with a segment, commercial break, you come back, the match happens. That You can't do it every single week. You have to give variety. But if I had a preference, like, hey, what's a perfect episode of TV for you? That's how it starts. I'll agree with that. Um, let's keep going here, kind of tangentially related to this as well. Uh, Riddle was startled by Bobby Lashley backstage. Lashley wished him luck against Damian Priest. They had a scheduled match on the show and reminded that they have experience inside the cage while Rollins does not. Riddle thanked Lashley, but Lashley reminded Riddle, don't ever get involved in my business again, even though I know last week when you kind of uh, tried to help me against Rollins, it was well-intentioned. Don't ever do it again. Priest was asked backstage if he would be easy on Riddle because they are former close friends. He called it a dumb question, saying Judgment Day is his family now. Priest then said Riddle's neither a cage fighter nor his friend anymore. So we had Riddle versus Priest. This was the main event. Balor saved Priest and ate a PK so Priest could catch Riddle flying with a forearm and a crazy broken arrow into the corner of the barricade right by the timekeeper. Priest later pushed Riddle off the top rope into the barricade and Riddle sold the rib injury. Riddle hit a superplex. Priest did the bell clap. Riddle powered Priest into Bro Derek for a great false finish. Ripley distracted as Riddle climbed the ropes. Priest took him off the top rope for a razor's edge, but Riddle escaped it and ate a clothesline instead. I guess it was more of a lariat, probably. Uh, Priest then hit a face buster for another false finish. Riddle flipped out of South of Heaven. Priest countered the RKO. Riddle countered the Reckoning and caught Priest flying with a pumped knee. Balor distracted when Riddle was going for the RKO. And Riddle rolled off Priest's shoulders into a cradle for the win in 17 minutes. I should note this was the main event. I think I forgot to say that. Uh, Judgment Day attacked him immediately after the bell with Priest hitting south of heaven. Suddenly, Edge returned to make the save on Riddle. He ducked Balor and speared Priest. Ripley saved Dama and Edge speared Balor to stand tall at the end. Edge then grabbed the mic and said he'll always come back because he never quits. And he challenged Balor for an I quit match at Extreme Rules as Raw went off the air. Okay, lots to unpack here. The backstage segments were great. Priest promo is part of what I was saying earlier about Judgment Day really finding itself. This was another example of that. The match was also fantastic. The finish protected Priest. It simultaneously gave Riddle a big win against the odds. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus, mostly because there was so much interference and distraction that it really kind of took away from the wrestling but it was still really good. And then you get to the post-match. With Edge, it was awesome because he didn't sell this latest injury for months and he was able to return in Canada to a big pop at the end of Raw in a situation where the babyface needed help as it was already established earlier in the show that Styles was outnumbered. Here, he was making sure the same thing didn't happen to Riddle or at least it didn't happen further to Riddle. We can talk about the match booking for Extreme Rules in a moment in terms of Edge and Balor in the stipulation. But in terms of the match and the segments we all got on television, I thought it was good. Definitely good. This kind of goes back to what I said before about Finn Balor. And I was like waiting for like, oh, who's going to come out and protect AJ? And then we didn't get it. I was like, oh, that was 
they they they, they got me expecting something and, and yeah. give me another. And then they do it here, and it's Edge, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. And the other part about the Finn thing is, as they're lining up AJ to smash his neck, I'm like, are we doing another injury angle <laughs> with somebody in the Judgment Day? They just, it feels like every other week they're putting somebody in a chair and doing this stuff to them. So Edge coming back, like you said, not out months, even though maybe he should in kayfabe. Good to see him back. And match was match was good. Result was fine. You know, kind of it works and sets up the I Quit match. It does. Now, as far as that match booking, the I Quit, look, I've been talking about it on this podcast for months. Not the I Quit stipulation, but Edge versus Finn Balor. It's a dream match for me, right? Given they've already done the six man and Edge has already fought Priest and Dom individually, Balor easily makes the most sense here. I do wish there was a bit more reasoning for him being the opponent outside of that he's Edge has already fought the other two guys, but maybe the idea is Balor stood on top of Styles earlier, so Edge sees him as the head of the snake, and he knows that he's got to take out Balor to kind of end this entire thing. But that also does raise the question of what's next for Styles, given he got bitched out by Balor, who's now turning around and fighting Edge. Shouldn't Styles be the one wanting Balor one-on-one at Extreme Rules? He's only been back two weeks, Styles. And now someone else has kind of stepped into his storyline. So I'm really curious to see what happens here. If Balor had stepped on the chair and AJ was selling a neck injury, so that way Edge did this, and then we got AJ and Balor, you know, in a match at whether Crown Jewel, heaven forbid, or Survivor Series or somewhere else, that would have made set made sense. But they didn't do an injury angle with Styles, which, by the way, was probably for the better because they just did one with Edge. So I was just a little bit confused as to how all of that played in together. But Edge set up the stipulation in his promo by saying he never quits. That's fine. Like, that makes sense. But the reasoning should have been that he wants to hear Balor quit so he can put Judgment Day behind him, so he can force them to kind of acknowledge that they're done with him. There's still a few weeks to add to the booking. Maybe they'll get there. I'm all in on this. Clearly, I have some questions. I also, Chris, have an idea of how this may actually go in terms of the match itself, but we can talk about that next week on our WWE Extreme Rules Ultimate Preview. Yeah, I, it's if I recall correctly, style is Finn the one who jumped on the chair to Edge to knock him out? Yes, he did the good one who delivered me. Yeah, yes. so so that's that makes sense. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Good point. That does make sense. Yeah, so so that's why it would be those two. It's fine. It's just, I don't love I quit matches. I don't love last man standing matches. I think I quits are better, um, but it's extreme rules. So we do extreme matches. And I don't know. My, my first thought is, like you said, with AJ. Oh, does AJ end up you know, causing Edge to lose and joining the Judgment Day? I don't know. Like maybe, maybe not. It's just it's something that's going to be in the back of my mind. AJ's just been doing nothing since yeah. WrestleMania. And yeah. this Finn stuff has been interesting. So I, I don't know. I, on, on one hand, you put a main eventer like AJ Styles into this group when you could have him doing something more valuable or because you're not doing anything with him, that's the reason to put him there. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, forgetting about the babyface heel dynamics, Styles just does not work in that group. So if he did join, it would probably be, I guess, like a Daniel Bryan joining the Wyatt family type of situation where like, you know, something's up. And he's going to like tear it apart from the inside out, but you have to just stomach it for a couple of weeks while it's weird. I just don't really think 
they should do it. I don't think they will do it. I hope they don't do it. Um, but look, Styles, Balor eventually in a singles feud. I'm here for it. I've been here for it. I think we've all been there for it for a long time. We saw the match with no build, right? It was a special situation that they had to do it. I want to see a full feud, but I also really think if you're going to do Styles and Balor, it really should be around a world championship. I mean, it just, that's what it feels like, or at least a rebuilt intercontinental championship or something like that to do it one-on-one purely based on history. I'm not saying it would be bad. Maybe they are building that all the way out for a WrestleMania match. That would be incredible. Again, we're just so far removed from WrestleMania that some of these things that are happening where you're like, oh man, I'd love to extrapolate it out and project it out for that. You really look at it and you're like, well, there's too much time between now and then. How are they going to get there? Especially now in this age with Triple H holding the book and us knowing, hey, maybe some of these storylines, we're not going to get a three-match series that you know lasts from December to April. You know what I mean? And whereas a year ago and certainly in years prior, we could certainly expect that. All right, Chris, uh, let's move to the White Rabbit QR code that I mentioned. This one uh, that flashed on screen, as I said, during the Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio match, this led to a TikTok video that spliced together different superstars saying, who killed the world? You did. You did. Feed your head. Feed your head. The name of the TikTok account is underscore come with me. Its logo is a white rabbit in a red circle, which if you go ahead and take a look at Bray Wyatt's Twitter page, you'll see he's been using the red circle for a long period of time. A zip code also flashed at the end of the video, 40701. If you search for that zip code, you will find Corbin, Kentucky. Check this out. Corbin has a store called White Rabbit Records. And if you go to their really old YouTube page, there are two videos on the page. One is White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Appropriate if you're going to have a record store named after that song. That was uploaded 15 years ago. There was also a new video uploaded Monday showing 04062, which is the zip code for, yes, Wyndham, Maine. In Corbin, Kentucky, there's also a Wyndham Hotel. That's a hotel chain, so that's probably just, uh, you know, lucky coincidence, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Uh, But it's also a small town that WWE has run sometimes, and The Fiend has defended the Universal title in that town during a WWE live event. It's also the birthplace of Colonel Sanders, and if you want me to make a connection with that, I don't have one for you, but I did think it was worth (laughs) mentioning. Uh, no, the, the connection is that is that is that Dolph Ziggler was Colonel Sanders. Yeah, well, among others, Shawn Michaels was Colonel Sanders and <laughs> yeah. others, but um, I'm sure that's irrelevant in this case. Uh, the title of the video, the URL, was 930 YWG. 930 is the date of this Friday's SmackDown, and YWG is the airport code for Winnipeg in Canada, where the show is located. So that's clearly also a clue. There were also coordinates in the video that pointed to some really random giant pink rabbit on a mountain in Artisana, Italy. The coordinates also point to a nearby motel in or around that town, Chris. No shit. It is called Let Me In. (laughs) I-N-N. Legitimate great name, by the way, for like a hotel or a motel in a small town. I I would totally go there. And lastly, this one is super weird. During the six-woman segment backstage, a weird dude wearing all black with like a white mask, briefly, when I say briefly, I mean for one total second, 
appeared on screen running behind Bailey. And I tweeted a video of this on our Twitter account at getting overcast. So that's the breakdown. Um, Look, that's an absolute ton of information, right? It's all pointing to the same place. And it's the place we knew it was going. Bray Wyatt. We can definitely take Karrion Cross off the list at this point. There was an idiotic online rumor Monday saying it was Edge. I mean, I rolled my eyes when I saw that. Most interesting here was there was some hidden code on yes, the page that had this TikTok video that wasn't on TikTok that included lyrics for Alistair Black's theme uh, when he was in WWE. But it was also made clear by the time you know, Monday night turned into Tuesday morning because Malachi Black posted a video. I think it was a live video on Instagram. He's in AEW. He's not leaving AEW. He has not been released. A big news story kind of broke uh, Monday night that Tony Khan has basically refused all of the release requests from any talent who made them. So Buddy Matthews, Malachi Black, others that perhaps we don't know about. So while there was a Alistair Black reference hidden here, He's not going to WWE. It's it's very obvious. Um, However, them including that red herring, I thought was awesome because it played against a bigger Mm -hmm. news story. And it was so hidden that only like the craziest individuals would potentially find that. I didn't find it. I saw people tweeting about it. I did confirm that it was the case. All the other stuff I mostly found on my own by just looking up context clues. Could this be a slow burn to a larger group. Chris, I mentioned last week that Bray Wyatt at one point while he was doing The Fiend, he wanted all of the Firefly Funhouse characters to be other wrestlers, performers, or people within WWE. We saw the masked person backstage. We're looking at all these little references. Um, It seems like there perhaps are other elements to this, but either way, it doesn't really matter. What's most important is there is no question that the teases and clues are taking fans on a ride. And I love it. I can't remember the last time WWE did something this intricate for an extended period of time. Yeah, we had teases with The Fiend and the Firefly Funhouse and all those videos and vignettes, and it was so weird and different, and we learned something. But even that wasn't as intricate and complicated and intriguing as this. It Yet at the same time, it's obvious, which just all works so well together. So I'm loving it, man. Obviously, this is not even talking about the White Rabbit uh, song, of course, being played by Jefferson Airplane during every WWE live event and TV show. It's still happening while cameras are off or, or for events that are not on TV. I'm loving it. It's popping me. And I'm happy to go along for the ride. I don't need him showing up soon. It can be Extreme Rules. It can be Halloween. I don't give a shit when it is. I'm excited to get Bray Wyatt back. Yeah, I didn't know some of those until you said them. It's, well, you're not it's, it's honestly a, hard to it's honestly hard to keep track of all of them, but that's like the fun. You gotta like look up what they all are. And it's like everybody's kind of figuring it out together online when these things pop up. So you're not going really down the fun. rabbit hole then, man. And you need to be. That's that's the point. Well, my it's issue my Monday nights, my Mondays and Tuesdays are incredibly busy because mm, of college football work. So it's just hard to to, to to I don't catch everything as it happens. I see it pop up on Twitter. And so we, we we were like, oh, last week, hey, does that date, does that mean Bray Wyatt is coming on Friday on SmackDown? Obviously did not happen. I did watch SmackDown live and we didn't get it. So, but it is clearly sending you to the next show. Like here, the next clues will be here. And like, so it is, it's taking you on a ride. And some of these details are so incredibly 
intricate and out there and random, like the Let Me In in Italy. Like, it's just it's really cool. And it's it's not the same thing, but you're trying to like, what are, what are some other things that maybe took you for a ride? Not quite the same, obviously not the same detail, but I think about Y2J, the Millennium Man, you know, that countdown that was going on for a while until mm-hmm. it showed up. And, and, and so, but that was just like, so just, just by comparison though, right? Yeah. That was so base level. It was. It was just a also, vignette it, or a little I, short video. I was a air. kid. I was a kid. I wasn't looking on the internet for to see Jericho was coming and stuff like that. Right. Um, but it, it was, it was a surprise of something that was coming at some point. And yeah, I, I don't, Corbin, Alistair Black, Bray Wyatt, Alexa Bliss. I don't know. I don't know where the heck this is going to end or when, when or how it's going to end. And that's fun. One so thing I didn't, I did not note, which I should have is in that TikTok video, it was, there's a lot going on there. And I don't really think there's too many clues in terms of the superstars that were used and those who weren't or whatever the case might be. But there was like, Something that was shiny and reflective in that video was like an astronaut helmet or or something like that. And Alexa Bliss was in the reflection of that. We also had, I think it was last week, um, Damage Control said something to Alexa about like, you know, you're lost and you got a lobotomy and some shit like that. And that does concern me a little bit. I don't want Alexa Bliss involved in whatever Bray Wyatt is bringing back. The... I loved them together. I thought she freshened up that storyline a lot. I don't want to be reminded of how it ended. And I also really would prefer not having The Fiend back. Like, you know, that's something we haven't talked about. And I don't know that many are talking about it. I think everyone's excited to get Bray Wyatt back because he's unique and creative and he's fun in the ring and all those types of things. But I really don't want The Fiend. I want a third incarnation of him that's different than what we've already gotten. How do you feel about that? As far as Alexa Bliss, she is doing nothing right now. I know. I know she's in the team, but she has been back for months now and barely even gets mic time. I'm kind of fine with whatever, as long as they like do it. I, I, we didn't love the therapy, you know, John Cena got taken in the Firefly Fun House. He showed up a year and a half later and was just like, well, that was weird. So like, it's it's not like they always come back and have to like explain what happened. Well, I think I think they the just, fiend they just need to allude. They just need to allude to it. So like you don't have to involve Alexa Bliss in the whole thing as long as it comes back and acknowledges that Alexa Bliss is the one who kind of killed the fiend or whatever. Yeah, I'm fine with that acknowledgement. I just I while, while we loved the fiend and they did figure some stuff out by having Bray wrestle as the Firefly Funhouse character and creating that, you know, option as well. It, the Fiend was a very problematic character, not problematic in the sense of like, you know, PR or anything like that, um, but problematic in that it created booking issues. Like you couldn't beat yeah. this guy. And right. obviously we saw what happened with Seth Rollins in the Hell in a Cell match where they gave a DQ in a Hell in a Cell match. It was just absurd, right? So and if you have this guy who's that dominant and can't be beaten, well, then he should be champion. And they did eventually make the Fiend champion. But when they made him champion, it was just like, oh, like, now what? And then they had Goldberg spear him and just easily pin him where no one else could do so. So, like, the Fiend character being that dominant, that supernatural, to me, created booking and creative issues in WWE. Whereas... Bray Wyatt, the original character with the Wyatt family, didn't because you could beat that guy. So I'm okay with someone being unique and different and having some of the elements of what 
made The Fiend kind of exciting and special. I just really do not want The Fiend back. The unstoppable force, supernatural power, who can't be beaten. And when he is, it has to be some convoluted bullshit. Because otherwise, they're booking themselves into a corner. And that's what I hope they avoid here. That's like my number one. I'm very excited about everything. That's my number one and really lone chief concern about the entire thing. Yeah, I just I think I would go back to what we said about I think I trust Triple H to to know that. I would hope to so. figure it out. And he talked about Bray Wyatt on that Ariel Helwani interview. And look, when when Kane debuted, he was Kane is shooting fire out of turnbuckles. He's lightning. He's got lightning coming out of the sky like wrestling has had weird spooky stuff and Kane only ever won the title one time and he lost it the next day. So it's like you, you can do that and keep them out of the title picture and figure that stuff out. And again, I think I trust Triple H to whatever plan they have. I think he knows that because it's pretty obvious. Lots more still left to get to here in the good, the bad and the ugly. More than midway through SmackDown, Drew McIntyre hit the ring and announced Karrion Cross would finally have his first match at Extreme Rules. McIntyre unveiled the strap saying that it would be their stipulation. Cross made his full entrance, but McIntyre got up on him and strapped him up. McIntyre beat Cross's ass with the strap and was about to deliver a death blow when Scarlet got in his way. Drew attacked anyway, and Scarlet threw one of those like flash fireballs in his face that they used in NXT. McIntyre still got up on Cross despite that until Scarlet straight up low blowed him. Cross dropped the strap on McIntyre with disgust, and then he disrespectfully stepped over him. It seemed like he was about to leave, but instead he re-entered with a cross jacket to knock McIntyre out and end the segment while accepting the strap match stipulation. So while I wanted to like this, Chris, I gotta say, it's just so one note for me. I don't really care about Cross McIntyre, even though they've done a lot of stuff to make me care, like I really should. And this just seemed like a lazy continuation of the storyline. Uh, you know, I, I know they didn't do the Yapapai Indian strap match technically, um, but strap matches to me, you need to have a real reason to do that as a stipulation. You know, Cross isn't avoiding Drew. Drew's not avoiding Cross. So you don't need to keep them together. It really felt like this should have been a different type of stipulation. I didn't find it to be awful in any way. But again, it's just one note. It's not exciting me. And it should be, it's supposed to be exciting, yet it doesn't really feel like it's progressing. All that's happening is McIntyre just keeps getting his ass kicked, which tells me, well, he's going to go ahead and beat Cross. Other, If not that, then McIntyre's about to get like a three-month vacation, and they're using this to write him off for a period of time. So yeah, it wasn't awful, but I am saying bad here. Yeah, it wasn't terrible, but it was very forced. You just laid it out, the strat match coming out of nowhere it just feels like oh it's extreme rules so we got to do this it's not like it's not like cross really cost mcintyre anything they're just he's just beat him up a few times that doesn't scream strap match to me like you said like they can just have their first match together and say it ends in some sort of schmaz and then you want to do strap or, match or chris that, just know, have him like, like beat him with it. a chair and then you do a chairs match or you know or a tables match. Or a stairs match. Or a stairs match. Or a stairs match, right. Like, just pick pick a pick a single, you know, thing and make it the stipulation. Yeah, if just, They could even make it, yeah. they could have done something where Cross power bombs him through a table. You make it a table match. That way Drew can lose, but he doesn't get pinned. Like, so there's so many things they could have done. A yeah. strap match to me just like, it doesn't really fit. I know, I know it's an extreme stipulation and it isn't extreme rules. It just didn't seem appropriate. Yeah, that's it. I, I guess I'll give... 
I don't forgive it. I'm on that edge between good and bad just because it wasn't like terrible. The fireball that Scarlet threw kind well, of missed, I think. Maybe don't forget, we have ugly uh, for terrible, insulting, awful. Yeah. Like, you know, that's why like, we have to use the bad category a little bit more, in my opinion. I, I, I think it's bad just relative to where I think these guys could be and especially where Drew could be. For him to go to nearly won the title class of the championship strap match carrying across is like, yeah. so I guess I'll say bad. That's exactly what I was getting at. That, that was my point. Uh, okay. Uh, we had Raquel Rodriguez against Dakota Kai commentary told the story of Raquel and Dakota's relationship and team before the bell. That was important given the booking, given these two were fighting damage control distracted and interfered right away. Kai hit a scorpion kick and a running boot. Shotzi then ran down to get Raquel's back. Rodriguez rolled up Kai for the win in one minute and 20 seconds. Bailey and Eosky threw Shotzi into the steel steps and triple teamed Rodriguez. Shotzi recovered and saved Raquel. This was so chaotic that it was actually kind of insane. I mean, less than two minutes for a match. Like if we're not going to get wrestling, just do a storyline interrupting a promo or something like that. Despite the short time, it was actually kind of exciting, but I cannot justify the match length or the roll-up booking given the circumstances. Why are you yes. doing Rodriguez and Kai, former partners, yes. and throwing it away in 80 seconds? It's ridiculous. This was bad. Definite bad. I It was good the commentary explained their background, but that's the kind of thing that should be explained in promos and built up to and, and stuff like that. So definite bad. Bianca Belair opened Raw saying Bailey can't fight her own battles. Bailey came out with damage control saying it's not about her, but Belair being groomed and trained into her position while they had to make it on their own. Belair said she wouldn't apologize for working hard and becoming champion while Bailey was injured. Bailey flipped it and said Belair wouldn't have even been champion if she was healthy. Belair flipped it back saying her first run came while Bailey was healthy. So what about that? Belair mentioned dumping Bailey into a ladder last time they fought and Bailey loved the idea of a ladder match at Extreme Rules, which Belair accepted. So he also had a scheduled match, Belair against Io Sky. This started extremely weird. I mentioned this earlier. Belair dropkicked Io, who was for some reason like transfixed on the referee with her back to the champion for no reason for like a minute before the match even began. It immediately went to commercial as soon as the dropkick came through. And it came back to the bloodline arriving at the arena before finally getting back to the match Five full minutes after it began. I know the goal was to show Sammy and Solo before Monday Night Football kicked off. It made sense for them to do that. But either don't start an advertised match before the break in that case, or at least put it picture in picture during the commercial break. We know USA Network can do it. You don't have to do it all show long. But in that spot, while you're trying to keep viewers before Monday Night Football and you begin a match right before a commercial, that's where you need to use picture in picture. Anyway, Io slammed Bianca's head into the post with a running dropkick off the apron. Belair hit a great roll through double vertical suplex. Io stood on Belair's braid, but Bianca tripped her with it. Fans chanted, this is awesome. Io hit a flying crossbody, but Bianca rolled through for a fallaway slam. Io caught Belair on the ropes with a falling type of arm drag. Belair pushed Io off the top rope to stop her moonsault and did a pendulum splash outside. Then she avoided a springboard from Io coming back in, caught her stumbling, and hit the KOD for the win in 18 minutes and 15 seconds. This was the long match that you were talking about to open the show. I thought it all delivered. I gotta say, this segment really helped clarify the angle between Belair and Bailey. Plus, it helped further explain the existence of damage control. And while I hated the first commercial break, the match got a ton of time, even despite the commercial. And it was a tremendous watch. The problem with the match was Belair got the vast majority of the offense. It did not help EO 
whatsoever. It was way too one-sided from a booking standpoint. I guess the idea was to give Belair her power and prestige back, given she did take the L and did get pinned at Clash of the Castle. So despite a lot of issues I had with how this was kind of like scheduled and set up, the promos were great. The match, the quality of wrestling was high, way better than their first one. So for me, it was an easy good. It's a good. I thought the promos were okay. I'm, like I said, completely out on Alexa and Asuka being here anymore. They're they're doing nothing. It, it, it would honestly be better, since we are going toward Bailey Bianca, if they just kind of went away and Bianca had to battle the numbers or something like that, like just to put her at some sort of disadvantage here. I don't, it's just, it's weird. I don't care about these groups or their group feud anymore. It's just, it, it, it's, it's pointless. Bianca's promo was good. I saw someone pointed out uh, that Bailey was wearing a yellow jacket and that Bianca was wearing yellow like two years ago when they made the stipulation for their I quit match between them or something like that. So that was a nice, I think that was probably a little touch there by Bailey kind of calling back to that, which was nice match. I was glad the match got time, but it was like I said, too long for, I think an opening the show type of match. It was good. Expected result still gives us a good, but I I just, I want Bianca, like she, she, she doesn't feel like she's in peril or, or at any sort of. Oh, see, uh, now I think she is. So let me get facing to that. Any sort of adversity. Let yeah. me get to that because now I think she is. And I, I agreed. I agreed yeah. with you that with that previously. But this booking to me is interesting because, first of all, it's going to be the first ever one on one women's ladder match on the WWE main roster. Never happened before, which is odd. Awesome. But accurate. Um, yeah. Kind of wild to think about that. This stipulation, though. For me, it provides an out for Belair to drop the title. Damage control could do something like tie her braid to the bottom rope to prevent her from climbing the ladder. Belair has been champion for nearly six months now, and it's a better reign than her last championship reign. I think that's fair to say. But it is getting a little bit old and stale. And on top of that, there's not a dearth of challengers per se, because there's plenty of women there. But at the same time, it's because like Asuka and Alexa Bliss are on her side and the other women on the brand aren't really being utilized. It's only the people kind of within these these two groups. I'm looking for something fresh, different and new. I could definitely see a championship change coming on this show. Uh, I, I think so, too. And, and look, heel champions, you, you don't typically have long reigns for face champions because that's not a story. It's not a story if Bianca is so strong and amazing and has friends backing her up and she continues as champion. Like, that's not a story. That's not interesting. So I agree that this is a spot where that could finally happen. I think I got to see a go home before I kind of before I make a pick. Yeah. But I think oh, it's well, definitely, of course, definitely we have an ultimate preview show right next week. So we will make our picks uh, without a question on that show. Uh, Nikki Ash was waiting in the ring for her match when suddenly Candice LeRae's music hit. And she made a surprise main roster debut. Why did I say surprise? I have no idea. A surprise main roster debut. Commentary put her over as similar to Gargano and Owens. And she used the poison pixie gimmick that she had at the end of her NXT run. Candice won with an avalanche swinging neckbreaker in one minute, 45 seconds. After the bell, Nikki pulled her mask off and collapsed in the corner, clearly depressed. I couldn't tell if she was crying, but clearly upset with herself. Now, normally I would criticize a match this short. 
But given Candace just had a baby and hasn't wrestled in front of people in 15 months, and she beat the lowest women's wrestler on the totem pole on Raw right now, who is in the midst of some reinvention storyline that seems to be taking a long time to really get started. The timing for me wasn't an issue. I also want to clarify before I give my grade, I love Candice. She's a great veteran presence to the main roster. I'm thrilled that she's there. It also sets up the possibility maybe Indy Hartwell comes up and they become a tag team again. So I'm extremely positive about the signing and the appearance. But as a segment, this was bad. Candice is not a big enough star for her debut to carry a segment. This is a situation where it would have been better for them to announce her signing and build it up over two weeks with like video packages and highlights showing how awesome she is. Right now, Triple H is kind of using the same, almost the same formula for every debut. Boom, there is someone new, they're in a match, and it's a surprise. He did it with Hit Row, he did it with Johnny Gargano, not a match, but a surprise kind of appearance on the show, out of nowhere. He did it with Candice LeRae. Uh, the difference, I think, oh, he also did it with Karrion Cross. randomly showed up on a show. The difference, I think, uh, is Dexter Loomis, who, yes, also randomly showed up, but it was as a character who we didn't know who it was initially, and it was a weird and different thing. But this was just bland. It, it was as bland as a debut possibly could be. I don't understand why she's using the Poison Pixie gimmick as a babyface when that was a heel gimmick over in NXT. It also, they're kind of acknowledging that Gargano's her husband. He's not in any way like that. Not that men and women who are married need to be the same, but her change in NXT came when Gargano turned heel. It kind of happened simultaneously a little bit. So I, I just, the whole thing just didn't really work for me. Something did happen later. We'll talk about it in a moment. That worked better. Um, and was maybe even a better way to introduce her that as opposed to like doing it this way. But in terms of the match and the segment in which she debuted, I'm giving it a bad. I am someone who comes from not watching a lot of NXT. So I I'm vaguely familiar with the work she did there. So in that sense, I thought this was fine because it's not like she was a major return. She's not someone that needed a ton of, vignettes so hype up Candice LeRae is coming or something like that like I I don't know she's doesn't mean that doesn't mean that much to me because she hasn't been on the main roster before I think it's great that she's there I thought it was interesting like you pointed out her debut here was almost exactly the same as Johnny Gargano's which was also I believe in Canada right yes so so they're both in Canada and they both kind of do the same thing. Neither of them are Canadian, by be, the way. Just <laughs> right. But, for, but it, it was in front of a crowd that I think gave it a special reaction. She got a pretty good pop for that. And commentary went nuts for it. They went they went more they went more nuts for that than they did for Johnny Gargano's uh, debut slash return or whatever. Um, so I, I thought they did a fine job of making her feel like she's someone that you should take seriously. And she got a squash match and it was fine because I don't think she she's not someone who's going to come in and immediately go into the main event. So I thought this was fine. I, I thought it was a good. OK, but so even though you didn't know who she was and they didn't really do anything to tell you, you don't think you would have liked it more if they built it up with like video highlight packages over two weeks and then she had her debut match. If if there was this big issue of like, oh, who's coming, who's coming, who's coming? Well, not a who's it's coming. Candace. Just very simply, like. This is a, the newest signing to the WWE. If, if they give me a, a, a promo, a vignette that was like Candice LeRae is coming, I would have been like, all right, cool. 
So for this to just, this is one of those, and the reason I think Triple H does those debuts the way you've explained them is to feel like, hey, on any episode of Raw or SmackDown, absolutely, anything can happen. And I think, and if I, hit, I think nine, if I think nine if, times if, out of ten, hit, sorry, yeah, go ahead. I'm interrupting. When it's someone like Hit Row, when it's someone like Candice LeRae, people who are not at the top of the card, I think that works. I think that's fine. See, I think it's the opposite. I think, I think nine times out of ten, that works. And Hit Row had already debuted on the main roster, even though it was short lived, and people were excited about them. So all of those things, I think nine times out of ten, again. It's fine to do that, but there's that 10th time and that 10th time you kind of need to do things a little bit differently. And in some respects they did with Dexter Loomis, which I think was a positive, but it Candice LeRae is one of those others where I treat it more like, I mean, look, this is a really bad example, but remember that time where WWE was bringing up like four people from NXT, EC3 was among them and they had those really short mm-hmm. vignettes like telling about their character. Then they eventually debuted weeks later. I'm not suggesting to do that with her necessarily. What I'm talking about doing more with Candice is like what they did with Eva Marie, where they they told you what this person is like and what they're about. Um, different but difference between them is Candice can go in the ring and Eva can't. So instead of Eva's bullshit with Candice, you're focusing on in-ring wrestling, her incredible performances against Io Shirai in NXT, some of the crazy hardcore stuff that she did in NXT. For me, you focus on the talent and you build them up to make that debut a big deal to a fan base who otherwise has no idea who that person is. Whereas with the other returns, the vast majority of them, fans really knew who they were. Johnny Gargano clearly is the best example. Karrion Cross, the vast majority of them knew and so on and so forth. So for me, this was a situation where it could have been done differently, should have been done differently and would have been perhaps excellent if it had been done differently as opposed to this, which to me was just, oh, oh, wow, that's great. Candice LeRae's here. And then not excited about anything else that transpired. That's fine. And that's from someone who knows her and likes her already. Right. Right. I just agree to disagree. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to clarify my point. That's all. Uh, Later backstage, Candice was walking by Belair. Uh, She said she hopes that she shuts up Bailey at Extreme Rules. Belair put Candice over for her win earlier in the show. Bailey overheard them talking and got into it with Candice. Dakota Kai told Bailey, not to fight because she has a title match upcoming. And I appreciated that because I was like, man, they're going to have Candice lose to Bailey in her second week. That didn't make any sense. So instead, Candice challenged Dakota, and that's going to happen next week. And that will be a very good match. I thought, we don't grade all these little segments usually, but I thought this was a good little segment here. It immediately involved Candice with the top faces and the top heels on the show to say, hey, not only is she new, but she's accepted and she's extremely talented, someone that all these people care about. So I thought that was really smart. Completely agree. Over on SmackDown, we had Liv Morgan against Lacey Evans in a non-title match. Lacey did push-ups while having Lid's head in a like leg lock. Uh, Evans tried to use a kendo stick randomly, but Morgan ducked it, hit a code breaker, and added Oblivion for the win in like 8 minutes, 30 seconds. Lacey was horrific in this match, selling Liv's offense just really bad. After the bell, Liv hesitated, but decided to beat Lacey's ass with a kendo stick. She then did a white Russian leg sweep. Shout out to the Sandman. She did that into the barricade and set up a table outside. Suddenly, to everyone's surprise, kind of out of nowhere, Liv climbs to the top of the ring post and does a flying senton into Evans that her like foot hit the cameraman and shook the camera. And it ended the segment as she screamed at Ronda Rousey, daring her to get extreme. Uh, staring right into the camera, screaming at her. The match was fine, but holy shit, 
Liv was awesome just murdering Lacey. I mean, sure, like Evans did kind of get absolutely buried here, getting her ass kicked that way, but it went far to elevate Morgan ahead of her match with Rousey. And given Lacey has like had zero impact since coming back with Triple H shoving her to the back of the roster, this was a situation where nothing was lost by her getting jobbed out. This was the coolest and most believable that Liv has looked since she won the title, and it was probably her best moment thus far as champion. The match was okay. The post-match was beyond good. I thought it was great. Look, they're they're trying. Liv, Liv is trying. I, I I give them that. You know, they're trying to. She she's willing to do these kind of insane things, considering it's just an episode of SmackDown, just to get kind of get the energy going. Because you know, I'm curious what the crowd reaction will be between the two of them. Because Ronda's been getting cheers and Liv had been getting booed. So this is an attempt to kind of keep Liv on that face side. I think. I, I don't know if you mentioned this. I, I thought when I was watching the show live, Liv didn't get a full entrance. I don't think like they came back from commercial as she was doing her entrance. I think if I recall correctly, I, I just I wrote that down in my notes for some reason, which was weird. Um, but yeah, this was this this play got a lot on social media. I saw it pop up in all my feeds and stuff like that. So Liv's trying, you know, Liv's not going to they're not going to kind of, you know, just push her aside, you know, Rhonda get the title, Liv kind of goes back down or something. They're, they're, they're working at it. And so I credit them for that. I mean, they're not, they're not just working at it. It's working. The crowd reaction was huge. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like this was great. And it also got me thinking a little bit, Chris, like, you know, there's nothing really that differentiates Liv. Like if I asked you to tell me the difference between no. Liv Morgan and Alexa Bliss, what would you say? Alexa is a lot more accomplished. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Right. <laughs> Other than that, it's it's kind of tough to differentiate them. I think it would be awesome if WWE reinvented Liv as like a Lita style wrestler, someone who doesn't always have to go to the extreme, but is willing to go to the extreme. It's been a long time since they've really had a woman like that in WWE. And honestly, it's been a long time since they've had maybe even a wrestler, man or woman, like a, a quote unquote real extreme wrestler in WWE. You could say that Shotzi is like that, but that has not been established on the main roster, even though it wasn't NXT. It definitely seemed to get Liv way over, as I said. And even if she does drop the title to Ronda Rousey or drops it eventually soon after, it could be a way for them to create momentum behind Liv or keep momentum going behind Liv. Hell, they could even align her with Shotzi and make them a tag team. I'm kind of curious what you think about that idea, not the tag team, but more establishing Liv as a superstar who has extreme tendencies. Uh, if her body can take it, uh, she is small. <laughs> I don't want her sure. to do a lot of extreme things if it's going to, you know, just kind of injure her, damage her, her body, or whatever. There's a reason we haven't had the extreme people in WWE for a while. And it's because it takes, takes a toll. Um, I don't hate the idea. I like it. She, you're right. She needs a gimmick. She changes her outfit every six months. So it's like, she doesn't really have that, identifiable characteristic yet if she I'm, I'm guessing she's willing to do it she seems to be willing to do anything so that could work um that could work one other unrelated thing about this mm -hmm. have you watched um ring uh, rings of power the new lord of the Rings show no i have not i'll i take that as a yes <laughs> the, the, uh, I, I just wanted uh, to know, so let me let me clarify no let's let yeah, me clarify yeah. no star wars no lord of the rings and no harry potter for me but yes on house of the dragon Yes, on House of the Dragon. A huge okay. yes on well, House of the Dragon. The, the, the main character in Rings of Power, Galadriel, 
<laughs> she, <laughs> she and lady she and lacey evans look almost like twins to me. Oh, okay. just every time i watch rings of power i'm like that looks like lacey evans to me and so i just wanted to put that out there in the world in case anybody else made a similar connection what's the name of uh that character galadriel she was in the lord of the rings movies oh, I, I spoke again i i mean i i will say i think i do think i have See, I think I have seen the Lord of the Rings movies one She's time in, each. Not the actress, but the character. I think I've seen the movies one time each in college. I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. I've never seen Star Wars. I've never seen any related never content to any of those. What? You've never even seen Star Wars? We've had this conversation. I've never seen a Star Wars movie. I just, I don't know how you don't even accidentally do that. Like I have, like, I'm, like, I mean, it's. It, it there's been occasions in which like I've flipped to whatever channel TNT and Star Wars has been on and I've seen 60 seconds of it, but I've no, I've never, I, I couldn't, I know the general story of Star Wars purely from like, it's talked about in pop culture all the time, but I couldn't tell you any intricate details. Um, I could probably only tell you three, uh, sorry, I was gonna say three character names, five character names, like the three humans and two, the robot and the, uh, the Wookiee. <laughs> Um, that's probably the extent. Oh no, no. And the, the weird character from the people hated, I could probably come up with that if I had time thinking about it. Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks. Binks. I could probably come up with like six character names from Star Wars. Total. Yeah, that's, that's it. I just, it's weird. All right. I don't think it is. I think it's Lacey Evans. She looks like someone from Rings of Power. That's all. Very good. Uh, okay. Let's keep going. Uh, Braun Strowman fought Otis on SmackDown ahead of the match. Workers were shown literally reinforcing the ring, which I thought was so freaking cool and unique. Uh, Otis hit a huge discus clothesline early, but he only got a one count. Strowman then caught him for a huge spine buster. Braun pounced him and Chad Gable outside before throwing Gable into the timekeeper's area. Otis caught Strowman with world's strongest slam for a 1.5 count. Then he hit a Vader bomb for a 2.5. Braun avoided a middle rope splash halfway across the ring and power bombed Otis for the one, two, three in five minutes and 30 seconds. This was like a surprise to some degree. I do wish it went longer, but it was all power moves with Otis getting plenty of shots in before Strowman eventually ended it as we knew he would. It basically established Otis as probably stronger than anyone else, at least on SmackDown, uh, except for this one totally dominant guy. It was definitely... Two big meaty men bumping meat. And given the overall booking, it was good. I also appreciate that Strowman's finisher has been changed. It went from a very generic running power slam to, yeah, a generic power bomb. It's an improvement, only a little bit. He needs to figure out a unique twist to the power bomb. I don't know what it's going to be, but he needs to figure it out. I actually think I like the power slam more than the power bomb, but that's just, that's like just being, although it isn't more impressive doing it to someone like Otis and stuff mm-hmm. like that. This match was a definite good. This was a lot of fun. This was the big meaty men slapping me. Maybe the meat segment of the year, potentially mm-hmm. keep in mind. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. It, 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 what was the other one we had? We had, uh, there's uh, been, there's been a couple of really it good was ones. One early in the was, year, I think. Good ones. Yeah, it was, was it Bobby Lashley and Omas, that might have been it. No, it was Bobby Lashley and someone else. I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Yeah, but but this was this was fun. And I like oh, you said, dude, I dude, the big meaty, excuse me, the big meaty moment of the year is Seamus and Gunther. Easily. Oh, yeah, that's true. Easily. I, it, Not even in question. It 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 it, it, it it's definitely the meat slappiest 
moment of well, the that's year. the award. There was definitely more. Yeah. There was more meat in this one. Uh, well, it's not. It's not about the but, amount of meat. It's not about the meat no, in the shirt. Go ahead. Yeah, it's about the the, the, the meat inside the shirt. Inside it's, the shirt, you know, I, I screwed that one up. Yeah, oh. it, it's um. But I, I, I'm glad it wasn't a squash. I'm glad Otis got to look pretty good. I think that was a positive, and Braun continues to look awesome in the crowd of super behind him. So definitely good. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. I had to. I had to get Biggie to straighten us out before we continued. I can't screw up one of those lines, and I, I can't stand it. I couldn't stand it for the rest of the show. Uh, Johnny Gargano and Kevin Owens fought Alpha Academy. Fans chanted for Gable at the bell. Owens hit a cannonball and a hooked knee neckbreaker off a hot tag. Gable got knees up on a senton bomb, but Owens got him in a sharpshooter that Corey Graves called a scorpion deathlock. You're in Canada and Sting is an <laughs> AEW, bro. It's a sharpshooter. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, Gargano was, he trying to be, was it trying to be a heel? Was it a heel commentator type of thing, do you think? I Maybe. Maybe, but why would you even do that? Like Sting's not with me. Did, like nobody calls it Scorpion Deathlock. Like at first, it's a sharp, it's a sharpshooter that, that if you're thought. in AEW and you want to call it that because Sting is there, like it's acceptable. I get it, but I mean, it's the sharpshooter in WWE always has been. Uh, Gargano set up Owens for a senton bomb. Gargano like botched an apron kick. He kicked the ropes. Gable sold it anyway. That was bad. Uh, Gable then hit a couple big suplexes. The Academy combined. For a doomsday device style bulldog, Otis leveled Owens outside. Owens dodged Otis into the post, hit two super kicks, and then put him on the announce table, jumping off the barricade for an elbow drop through the table. Crazy spot. Crowd went wild. Gargano set up for his kick when Austin Theory pulled his leg as a distraction. Gargano was caught by Gable with a forearm and a cliffhanger DDT. That was a false finish. Gargano then blind ducked a briefcase outside, super kick Theory, and hit Gable with one final beat for the win in 13 minutes. This was really well done. The false finish after the interference was well-placed and helped get the crowd even more on Gargano's side in the final moments. Owens taking out Otis was awesome. And it also kept Otis strong. Again, this guy is kind of getting beaten down by other people, but in order to take him down, they need to go to these crazy lengths to do it. Uh, And there's also, of course, no harm in Gable losing to Gargano. This just straight up worked. It was good. This was great. This was an absolute banger of a match. <laughs> the the interference all worked. Everything planned out worked. It was a great way to get Johnny Gargano again, kind of more familiar with the with the main roster fans again, make him look great. Kevin Owens right there with him. This was fun. This was awesome. No 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 criticisms at all. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, Theory backstage criticized the Academy for the loss. Gable said Otis is still recovering from Strowman. That's why he was kind of off. Theory said they needed to figure out a way to get even. Suddenly. His phone rang, but it wasn't for Theory, it was for Gable. It was Strowman on the other end, angry that Gable during the segment called him a doofus, and he said he'd crush him next week in his hometown so they don't have to fly his body home. Gable was straight up shell-shocked. Like, he didn't, like, after hearing this, just eyes staring straight ahead, not blinking, scared out of his mind. Uh, Theory then got Otis pumped up to fight Gargano one-on-one next week. I thought it was a great little heel segment. Expert acting from Gable. I'll give it an extra bonus good year. Agree. I, this is kind of, look, Strowman's not going to be any big intricate stories right now. He's just going to beat up the heels and look awesome doing it. And that's working right now. 
Yeah, it's exactly what he should be doing right now, given everything else is already busy in other directions. On SmackDown, we had New Day against the Maximum Male Models. Maxine Dupree grabbed the camera and directed her guys to pose multiple times while they were wrestling during the match. Max Dupree got angry at her distracting them, and Xavier Woods eventually caught Mansois with Backwoods for the win in three minutes. Max screamed at them after the bell. He took his jacket off, slammed it on the ring apron three times, and then like stormed off. We look for spots to go with something other than good these days, right, in this segment. But man, I loved this. Okay, of course, male model wrestlers would have someone taking photos of them <laughs> live during their match. Like, that's genius. Of course, that's going to happen. It could even eventually be used if they turn babyface down the line, which a group like this probably will, um, where you have Maxine Dupree flash it in the heels eyes and they can roll them up and get pinfalls. Very similar to the way Xavier Woods himself uses the trombone or used the trombone in the past. Clearly, the goal here is for LA Knight to split from this group. Him being serious about the wrestling, while everyone else, the models and Maxine Dupree, caring more about the modeling, it's a great way to achieve that. Everything that happened in this segment was exactly right from a booking standpoint. I wish the match was longer, sure, but it kind of made sense given the finish. I got to go good here. Oh, definitely good. This was fun, goofy, exactly what it's supposed to be. Just like you said, like it just, it's fun. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm, legitimately looking forward to when the maximum male models show up on my screen. I don't know what's going to happen next with Max Dupree or LA Knight or whatever. It feels like a breakup's coming, but it's a fun, it's like when they pop up, I'm just like, this is going to be funny. I'm exactly. looking forward to it. And, and, and that, that's exactly, that's all you need. It's great. Yep. Uh, the Miz on Raw spoke to a group of six security guards saying he had a huge prize package worth up to $1 million. He called them the Miz Force saying he didn't want big, bulky, dumb security, but rather smart and capable guys who could outwit he who shall not be named. Then he sicked them on Dexter Loomis. It was simultaneously dumb and kind of comical, I will say, that segment. Our Gargano and Owens walking backstage found one security guard knocked out later. Styles came across another security guard knocked out. And Miz, even further in the show, found a pile of all six guys in the original spot where he filmed the opening segment. Loomis was behind him camouflaged as a mannequin wearing an Edmonton Oilers uniform. So Loomis took off the helmet, snapped the hockey stick over Miz's back, and then choked him out in silence before putting him in his lap and petting his face again. Doing this backstage out of the view of the crowd, I thought was just a mistake. It got no reaction. It came across really slow and plodding throughout the entire show. I did like the little kind of, I don't want to call them Easter eggs, but like the little moments where they'd come across a security guard. So they tied it into the whole show. I did appreciate that. But for me, this storyline is alternating between entertaining and boring on alternate weeks. And this week was boring and predictable. So I'm going to go say bad. I've been down on this for a while, but I actually kind of thought this one was funny. And I think it's because they leaned into the comedy part of it. And if you're going to do that, then I'm fine with it because because, you know, Loomis got arrested that didn't press charges. It was getting kind of weird. I was like, like they were kind of keeping it seriously, or at least the Miz was keeping it seriously. If you're just going to kind of make this the funny comedy bit, then like I can live with it. Him dress him hiding in the Oilers costume uniform was fine and it actually did get a little bit of a reaction from the crowd the crowd was chanting let's go oilers <laughs> so, right so I, right so so that that's what they got from the edmonton crowd the the miz force thing was funny like it was a funny bit so like if if 
if it's just going to be that and he's just annoying and tormenting the Miz and nobody else takes him seriously, then like it's kind of funny and I'm fine with that as opposed to the more like trying to take him under the ring, he's in his house type of stuff. So, so you like, right. I was going to ask of, you that. I was going to follow up and ask you that question. You liked this yeah. more than the home invasion. I think I did because because okay. because you're not asking me to take it seriously and it was becoming hard to take it seriously. Okay, interesting. I liked both of the last two weeks more than this. I thought the home invasion was the peak of this. Last week was solid. And this, I thought, was potentially the low point of the entire thing. So it's funny that we have different kind of opinions. So this is good for you, you're saying, right? Yeah, it was fine. Okay, a couple more here, and then we are out. Hit Row was partying backstage when the Street Profits walked up, and then Shinsuke Nakamura joined them, and they all drank champagne. Drew Gulak, Natalia, and Los Lotharios ended up partying later, but Los Lotharios tried flirting with B-Fab. Obviously, Hit Row took exception to that. They kicked them out, and a big screen was rolled in for them to watch SmackDown. Later, Los Lotharios blindsided Hit Row with super kicks while they were, I think, sitting on a couch. All of this was to set up a tag team match next week. It felt like a lot of effort to get to a simple match booking, but it's hard to criticize when it's like entertaining low card stuff that isn't like bad or offensive or anything. So it's good, but you know, how good could it actually have been? You know what I mean? Yeah, it was one of those like light, unoffensive goods. It was like, all right, you know, it, it, they've been no it was Street Profits and Hit Row together have been kind of fine, fun for we. I just, I feel like the Hit Row just kind of doesn't really have characters yet. They're very just like, they're almost like maximum male models in that their whole thing is a gimmick, but it's also not like a funny gimmick. So still kind of waiting to get more from them. Well, that's the, it was fine. It was, that's the thing. They did the rap performance, which we heavily criticized, or at least I did, because it didn't work. And then they're like, all right, we're not going to do that anymore. So we're going to have them party, which is totally fine. But it was a really shitty follow-up when don't forget two weeks ago, they had that banger match. Top doll looked awesome. Really, they should have mm-hmm. been given another opportunity here to like do a party early in the show and then fight Los Lotharios in the show so Top Dalla and Hit Row could look good in the ring again. So I don't understand why they like took a whole week to kind of have people forget about what just happened and not really show that highlight and how awesome they were. I also still don't understand why are Street Profits on SmackDown? They're a Raw tag team. They're not contending for the titles. Uh, they ran in with an to, to stop something with Bloodline two weeks ago, I think it was, where it kind of seemed like they would become the new number one contenders again, but that storyline is not progressing. So there's no tag team championship contender storyline. There's, I mean, I know they just had a match Friday on SmackDown. I understand that. I'm just, I'm just saying like, there's no, no one else in the wings right now stepping up. And the same thing is true for the United States championship, as we mentioned previously. So yeah, I just, I, you know, I don't understand the point of having the Street Profits here when they're a raw tag team that could be in raw tag team feuds to potentially find a number one contender. So I just thought that was completely odd. And lastly here, Chris, Omos fought two jobbers. MVP was on commentary. Omos had a big boot outside and two double choke bombs inside for the win in less than two minutes. After the bell, Omos piled them on the announce table, stood atop it and roared. I am bored senseless by this. The only reason it doesn't get an ugly is because it's not like insulting. It was nothing that you look at it and you say, I can't believe they put this on television. But dude, Omas is going backwards. And it's not even a good backwards where they're like reestablishing him and then going to do something. I don't care about Omas. MVP being with him. Like, can you imagine this guy went from a, a multi-time world champion, the current US champion and so on and so forth, to Omas who's back to beating up jobbers? It doesn't make a shred of sense to me why this is on television. 
I, look, I'd never call for anyone to lose their jobs unless there's like a reason like CM Punk or something like that. But I don't understand what the ceiling is for Omos and WWE right now, especially with Braun Strowman back. I don't get it. This was just straight up bad. This was an ugly for me. I, I, Good. I, I just Good. I can't believe I can't believe they're doing this again. Like it feels like we're just resetting Omos at the beginning again. This is the kind of thing you would expect under Vince McMahon booking. I'm honestly shocked that this is happening. Squash matches only work in today's world if you're doing something you're not seeing anywhere else. And if it's, oh man, Omos is so big, look at him slamming two people at the same time or doing something we don't see elsewhere. He's not even doing anything that stands out. Exactly. Like it, it, it's it's not like the squashes is like highlighting anything of his. So the crowds don't care. I mean, we, we, we see... Braun Strowman and Otis lifting each other. So like Omos lifting a jobber is not going to do anything. This is a complete waste of time. I'm shocked that they put it on TV and that they're doing this. No idea what the plan is. This is about the only thing in the entire main roster TV right now that feels like it has no plan or direction. Um, the only thing I noted else on this is MVP said Braun, Braun Strowman may be the monster of monsters, but there's only one giant. And so it made me wonder if we are going to get to a Braun versus Omos match. Oh, I could definitely which see that. Which I would like. Yeah. I can so in, in terms of like anything to take away from this moving forward, that was my only thought. The comment that uh, MVP made toward the end of that segment. Braun Omos is like a low card WrestleMania night one giant versus monster match. Totally mm -hmm. works. Like you could definitely, definitely do that. But to your point, you made a really good point within what you were just saying. You have Otis and Braun Strowman lifting each other and, and kicking each other's ass and tearing things apart. Super exciting, really good stuff. You had Braun destroying people already, real wrestlers on the roster, not jobbers. But beyond them, Top Dollar two weeks ago on SmackDown, did a more impressive feat of strength than anything Omos has done in his entire main roster run by catching two people and having one on his back and doing the triple slam. Omos just comes around, he sticks his leg up, he choke slams someone, he throws them, and that's it. The, again, this goes back to what I've said about him for a long time. He just, he's not that, he's not a wrestler. He's just a big guy. And it's okay to be a big guy wrestler. It's not okay to be a big guy who's just a big guy. And that to me is what Omas is. Yeah, so I, I'm curious if this is just to build to Braun or, or, or what, but squash matches today, like, nah, never gonna like it. All right, well, I think that might have been from you the first ugly in the Triple H era, perhaps. But this was also, despite us you know, clearly being fond of the two shows we got, SmackDown and Raw, I think the segment also had the most bads of any thus far in the Triple H era. That doesn't mean the shows weren't good. Just some of the individual elements you know, weren't as strong, perhaps, as they could have been. Chris, the one thing I wanted to leave this show on, the one note I wanted to leave this show on, is a quick overview of the Extreme Rules match card. And we're going to do our entire WWE Extreme Rules Ultimate Preview, same bat time, same bat channel, next week on our Tuesday WWE show. We'll break down every single match on the card with picks, predictions, thoughts on storylines going forward. All of that is coming next week, so we're not doing that here. I just wanted to go through the card really quick and explain what has been booked for the show. We have the SmackDown Women's Championship, Liv Morgan against Ronda Rousey in an Extreme Rules match. We have the Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair, Bayley, in a ladder match. We have Edge versus Finn Balor in an I quit match. Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross in a strap match. 
and Matt Riddle versus Seth Rollins in the fight pit. So as of right now, five matches, five stipulations. And we opened the show, Chris, talking about how different WWE is from this time last year when we got Extreme Rules, Roman Reigns, Finn Balor in that Extreme Rules main event. That was the only stipulation match on an entire pay-per-view at the time, now premium live event, called Extreme Rules. Here we are, 12 months later, and we have five stipulation matches out of five matches on this Extreme Rules card, clearly most likely with one or two matches maybe still to be added before we you know completely get there um, next week. I love it. It's great to see all of this back. Are a couple of them a tad convoluted? Yeah, you know, we talked about Edge and Finn Balor. Is I quit the best stipulation? McIntyre and Cross, it makes sense to have a stipulation. Is a strap stipulation really the one that makes, makes the most sense? I don't know. So maybe they're a tad forced here and there. But the fact that we're getting at least five stipulation matches on a card for a special pay-per-view that is based around extreme rules, to me, is a huge positive development in WWE. I agree. And if you're going to have these gimmick pay-per-views as WWE continues to do, I almost think you lean into it more. Like, I think you say, hey, the next show is Extreme Rules. We got to have a stipulation. How about we do a strat match or or something? Or we do an I quit match. Almost like acknowledge the forcedness of it all. And and be like, that's, you know, kind of like it was, um, it was TNA. They used to do the, the, uh, the six-sided cage match and every match on the pay-per-view had to be in the cage or something like that. Like, like I, I think I'd almost acknowledge it even more because some of them do feel forced, like we said. So like, why not just say like, it has to be forced. Why not just say extreme rules where every match, you know, is, has a stipulation or something like that. And then kind of make that, make that kind of the, the gimmick of the show, acknowledging what that is. I think I'd like that even more. They could have done something where you spin a wheel for one or two matches to determine the stipulation or fans could vote on it. Like they definitely could have gotten Abu more Tuesday, creative. Cyber Cyber Monday or whatever that was. Yeah, they could have done like a, I think doesn't WWE air like the bump on Tuesdays? Is that what they do? Or is that Wednesday Something maybe? Like that, yeah. Well, on like yeah. the bump, they could have done like a fan vote, um, like a Taboo Tuesday if it does air on Tuesday or something else on Wednesday and allowed people to kind of just pick stipulations for not every match on the card, but Maybe Edge and Finn and um, Finn Balor, that match could get a stipulation chosen by the audience. You do I quit, a couple others, and they come up with it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, I think they could have been done in a little, little bit better way, but just the fact that we're getting them is a huge improvement from last year. Agree. Definite step in the right direction. All righty. Well, that is this week's WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We discussed an absolute ton on this show as we always do we will be back here with one more episode of getting over on thursday as we discuss everything that goes down across aew and nxt as i said one week from now same bat time same bat channel we will have your wwe extreme rules ultimate preview and as we do that show next tuesday we will break down what the entire week looks like from a podcast scheduling perspective. There are some interviewer feelers out there, both with WWE and AEW. So perhaps there could be some of those coming soon. Of course, we will do an instant analysis podcast, live shows, all that good stuff next week. Though Chris and I are going to need to figure out how to do that, given it is on a Saturday, I believe, Extreme Rules, another college football Saturday. So of course, it is going to be difficult to achieve, but we will figure it out anyway. All of those details coming next week 
right here on Getting Over. For now, allow me to remind you that this podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop us a five-star rating on Apple. Take a few moments. Also leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show. And please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Over cast thanks once again to chris for joining me at this point the silver king is going to sign off and leave you with just three final words bye for now